0: In episode 506 with Paul Murgard from Destiny Rescue, we are talking about sex exploitation and how we can free women and children from what is going on in the world right now. It is very important, this conversation. And if it's not the right time to listen, if you have tiny people around, pause it, come back when you can, but please make sure you do come back and listen to this episode. It is very important and we're going to be talking about what we can do best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Beautiful. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited that you're here, so grateful that you're here, and so excited for this conversation because it is one that is very near and dear to my heart. Paul Murgard from Destiny Rescue. Destiny Rescue is an incredible not-for-profit organization, and they are freeing children and women who live in poverty and slavery it is such an important topic this one and i'm so grateful that you're here so paul joined destiny rescue the australian team as an executive partner manager in early 2021 and he was appointed the ceo of destiny rescue australia He has campaigned tirelessly on these issues of raising awareness and affecting change. Paul started to advocate for children who have been sold into the sex trade in the early 2000s and after a number of trips to one of the largest red-light districts in Southeast Asia, he knew that he had to do more than just pay lip service to the freedom of children. And after hearing a child trapped in bonded labor say, I do have dreams, but my dreams will never come true, so don't let me dream at all. After hearing that, Paul committed himself to doing what he could to give children trapped in a life of exploitation and abuse the opportunity to dream big dreams, because every child has the right to dream big. Now, every child deserves the right to dream big. So I am so excited for this conversation. It is big But very important that we talk about this and that we do something about it. So let's bring on Paul. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, which you are going to want to check out, melissaambrosini.com forward slash 506. You're going to want to go there because that is where you'll find out how you can help and how you can save lives and what you can do. So let's bring on Paul. Let's start this very important conversation. Paul. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you. I've wanted to have you on for so long, and now it's finally here. But to just give a little bit of background on how I discovered Destiny Rescue. So, this all started in 2014. I was laying on the beach in Positano in Italy, And as you do, as you do. And I was on my honeymoon with my husband and I was reading a book called Warrior Pose. And the author of that book, Bhava Ram, has been on the podcast and it's such an incredible story. His story is amazing. And he was talking about some of the slums in India and what he was exposed to being a war correspondent. And the things that he was sharing in the book, I was just crying. And I remember turning to my husband and saying, I need to help. I want to help. What can I do? And I have worked with different organizations and felt really called to contribute to eating disorder organizations and things like that. And nothing else had really landed within me. And then I was like, I want to help with sex slavery, child sex slavery. This is what I want to help with. And so he's like okay and then we started googling different organizations and he reached out to a friend and we had these started these conversations but then it wasn't until we got back to Queensland where we live we were driving around and the first day we got back we see a car that has Destiny Rescue on the back of it and I was like Destiny Rescue I was like what is this and so I literally he was driving I was on my phone googling Destiny Rescue. And I was like, this is the organization I want to support. This is it. This is it. And I was so excited. And since then, we have been supporting and freeing children from sex slavery. And I am just so glad that Destiny Rescue was created and that you're doing the work that you're doing, freeing children from sex slavery. So, can you just tell us how this started for you? What is Destiny Rescue? What does it do?
1: Yeah, great. Well, Melissa, let me just say first up, thank you so much for having us on the show and and for your support and even just for raising the awareness around this issue because it is it's heartbreaking with what you see around the globe. What's happening? Destiny Rescue. We started out of the Sunshine Coast 21 years ago, and yes, we just celebrated our 21st birthday last year. We've so far rescued over 11,000 people, but we have a vision by the end of the decade to rescue 100,000, and we're doing whatever we can at the moment to ramp up our efforts to rescue so many more children. But our founder, Tony Kerwin, who lives overseas doing rescues most weeks of the year now, Tony was in Thailand and overheard a conversation of a couple of guys in a bar talking about what they could do with a girl for $400.
0: What were these foreigners? Like these were Westerners?
1: They were Westerners. Westerners on holidays in a bar in Thailand and talking about what they could do with a girl for 400 US dollars. And Tony heard that and just went, this is wrong. This is just wrong. And he's a man of action. He gets his hands dirty and he just put himself to work to go, well, what can we do to end this trade? And And out of that, Destiny Rescue was born 21 years ago, as I said. And that period of time then since, we've really developed the organisation into a place where we're hitting some significant goals and creating some significant change in communities in around about 11, officially in 11 countries around the world now that we're operating in. We've got a couple of other countries that we're doing some pilot programs in. But essentially what we do as an organisation is we go into the darkest places on the face of the planet where children are being exploited for sex and we rescue those kids. Not only do we rescue the kids, our aim is to make sure they get on a pathway to freedom and they stay free. So we have a range of different programs or partner organizations that we work with to ensure that the kids get to a place of safety, and we get to help them on their rehabilitation journey after what they've been through to find freedom. And then we're also working with law enforcement to ensure that we're getting arrests and prosecutions against the perpetrators of the crime. And then some of the newest stuff we're doing in Australia this year is aiming to work on a tourism campaign, because particularly when you go to Southeast Asia, you see so many Aussie men. American men, Western men, and also Asian from other countries throughout the world that come to Thailand or come to the Philippines or Cambodia or, or wherever it might be across Southeast Asia because sex is often cheap, it's fairly freely available and we need to put a stop to that. And so it's a holistic approach. It's not just that we're doing work internationally. We are also needing to raise more and more awareness here in Australia that a lot of Western men people that we potentially know are going to some of those places to do the wrong thing with children or people sitting at home on their computers doing the, you know, doing things which are actually harming children.
0: I can't believe this is happening. Like I actually, like I really can't. Like really? Like is this really, really happening And yes, it is. It is really happening. And it is so wrong. It is so wrong. Like I've got full goosebumps and, you know, having a two-year-old daughter, like I just, I can't even fathom, you know, some of the ages of these children. Like, can you tell us what is the youngest?
1: Oh, the youngest that we rescued were 18, uh, sorry, eight-month-old twins that we rescued who were being abused. So it, and again, it depends in what context and situation. When we look at the online sexual exploitation of children and children being exploited over the internet, the ages of that is super, super young. Because what happens, Melissa, in a lot of commu- like poor communities around the world, Someone will come through that community, could be through a slum, It, it could be to a really poor village, and they'll say to a mother, a brother, a sister, an auntie, an uncle, hey, if we give you an iPhone, can you take some videos of your nephew, niece, son, daughter, whatever, and for every video you upload, we'll pay you $50 US. And for someone living in poverty, he goes, oh, wow, we've now got an opportunity to get out of poverty. But that child is being exploited because by people in our countries, in Australia, in the US, in the UK, New Zealand, Canada, other countries around the world being exploited online. And those children are super young. Often when we go into the bars in Southeast Asia and Africa, I've just come back from a trip to Africa and we can talk about that as we go through. But a lot of those girls will tend to be 14, 15, 16, 17. And often you're finding kids that have been sold alive, they might have got to the age where they effectively finished school. So again, in a lot of these communities where you've got a lot of poverty, you've got a girl that might finish school at the age of 14 or 15. I know in Australia, we would expect our kids to be going through until they're 17 or 18. But in a lot of these communities, they've effectively, effectively finished their education around 15 or 16. And it's time for them to go and start earning money. And so a trafficker might come into the village and say, hey, if I take your daughter to the city, I could get a job for her, work in a restaurant or in one of the five-star hotels, and she can be sending money back home and you can be starting to provide for your family. Because again, often you've got kids in poverty and the family is looking for a way out of poverty. The family's just looking for an opportunity to put food on the table. How do we eat today? And so they again, largely uneducated, believe the person that's come along and offered a job and often there's social proof that is given in the community. So the first kid that goes to the city to work, gets the job, gets to come send money home. And then so the trafficker comes back and goes, well, it worked for that one. How about I take the next 10? You know, we've got 10 more job openings and they can come to the city and then they end up, in the bars, in the red light districts, in the karaoke bars and the go-go bars and and whatnot and start being abused and the money doesn't go back home. And then there's shame because, again, in a lot of these cultures, huge shame culture and a lot of manipulation, a lot of tactics to say to girls, we know where your brothers and sisters are. We know your family. We know the village you come from. If you run, if you leave, If you tell anyone, we will go back and bring shame on your family. And so it's this coercive control, manipulation, all for profit, all for someone to have their way, you know, with a girl for very little money. And that's what we're about stopping, Melissa. And that's what I know that you're about, making a difference in and making change in communities. Because a child's bed should be a place of safety not a place of work.
0: And so do those girls that go to the city, they never see their families again?
1: Look, it will depend on them, obviously on an individual basis. But yeah, for a lot of girls that go and take those jobs and those opportunities and end up in the bars, they get caught up in the the cycle of abuse, a cycle of, I don't know what else to do, a cycle of, well, I could never go back home. Let me tell you the story about Anita because Anita is one of the reasons I do what I do. I met Anita back in around about 2006 or seven, in the red light district of Mumbai. And Anita was Nepalese born and she grew up in extreme poverty in Nepal. And at the age of nine, she was working in a garment factory in Nepal. So again, I'll let that sink in for your listeners. She was nine years old, not at school, was working in a garment factory because her family were incredibly poor and she was having to be sent out to work to try and make sure that they had something to eat because often it's a matter of survival for these kids. It's not that they need money to play the Nintendo or to go to the the movies or whatever. It's we need food to eat. And when Anita was nine, a lady came in to the factory that she was working in and said to Anita and her friend, hey, if you come with me, I'll get you a better job that's going to pay you more money so you can support your family. And so Anita and her other nine-year-old friend went, sounds great, let's go. And they left that day, didn't go back home to tell her parents where she was going. She didn't know where she was going. A couple of days later, she ends up in Mumbai's red light district. And for the next 15 years, she worked as a sex slave only a couple of dollars a day, having sex with anywhere between five to 15 men a day, she had to do whatever they wanted her to do. She had no control. She had no agency. She had no choice because what the traffickers do in that first six months of you being enslaved is break down the spirit, break down your your ability to fight, break down your option, break down your choice, break down your self-esteem, and you're in a foreign city. You don't know anyone. You're in another country for her. And thankfully, you know, for Anita, her story has got a happy ending because after about 15 years, she was able, you know, she'd become an adult. She was able to finally get out of the establishment that she was working in, and she found freedom. And I met Anita working with another NGO at the time in India where she was working with other women caught up in the sex trade in Mumbai's red light district. And she was helping them find choice, find hope, and getting them out of the situation that they were in. And then doing vocational skills training, getting an education, and all those kind of things and finding a new way. But Melissa, I... I've met Anita on quite a few occasions and I think about Anita every day because Anita's the reason I do, I do what I do today because I met this woman and I said, Anita, what happened to your family? Have you ever gone back to your family because what you are doing now is incredible because like she is helping so many other women find their voice and find their ability to come out. The thing about Anita that I love, I've never met someone that is more redeemed than Anita. And more resilient than Anita, because she has overcome the most horrendous abuse to now be one of the strongest women that I've ever met in my life, and she honestly Melissa inspired me and just went that's why I want to make a difference for the sake of the Anitas out there in the world and I said to Anita, like have you, do your parents know that you're alive even? And she just said to me Paul, she said the shame that I carry, I couldn't go back to my family. One, I don't even know where my family would be anymore because they were really poor. They were in a village. I was nine years old when I left Nepal. You know, I don't even know how to get back to that village. Where did I come from? And then also the shame that sits there about what she went and did. So for a lot of girls, they don't go back to their family. It becomes their way of life unless they can try and build a new life out of there. And that's what we're about trying to help them create is get that new life, get them back into the family if it's safe to do so and if we can. And we do that with a lot of the kids that we rescue. But yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to see what they go
0: through. Oh, my gosh. And so how did Anita get herself out? Was she rescued or how did that play out?
1: Well, like Destiny Rescue wasn't working where she, is, where she was at the, at the time, but... Yeah, so she got rescued and and assisted to come out of that work by another NGO that was doing some phenomenal work in in Mumbai's Red Light District at the time. But she's very representative of the girls that we're rescuing. We have so many, I think we're up to nearly 30 border stations along the Nepal border, where last year we rescued just under a thousand girls that were in the process of being trafficked across the Nepalese border. They were on path to suffer the same fate that that Anita suffered. And we've now got border agents at around about 30 border stations on the Nepal border. We work really closely with the Nepalese police and border force and whatnot. We can intercept girls that have been walking across the border because you've got to think on that Nepalese border, very different to Australia. They don't have, you know, it's they've got no moat around the country. So... But even different to borders that you will see, like if you traveled from the US into Canada or the US into to Mexico, it's almost like the Queensland-New South Wales border. You just walk across. You don't necessarily need a passport in a lot of places. A lot of the places, the border is just a field. And so you can just walk across the field. And so we've got these incredible Nepalese women, a lot of them who have been trafficked themselves, who have got the authority to intercept people crossing the border and, and interviewing them and finding out why are you crossing the border. I remember a story last year of these, one of the stories that I, that I was told was one of our border agents there on the Nepal border intercepted a 12-year-old girl and she was crossing the border one morning and, and stopped this 12-year-old girl and said, where are you going? What are you doing? And, and the girl said, oh, I met this lady on my way to school this morning. So she was on her way to school. And she said, I met this lady and she said to me, hey, if you want to come with me for the day, I'll take you to the city across the border. I'll buy you lunch. I'll get you a new sari and you can be back home by the afternoon. By the time school finishes to go back to your family, you'll have a new sari and we can just have a nice day out. And this girl, 12 years old, went, "Well, that sounds good. Like what 12 year old wouldn't say yes to that? And she was told, look, when we go across the border, I'm going to put you in a different tuk-tuk than what I'm going to go in. This is what you need to say if those ladies, if the ladies stop you and ask you what you're doing, this is what you need to say to them. And I'll meet you on the other side of the border because I'm not going to go across in the same took because you will go across separately. And thankfully, our border agents were there and rescued this 12-year-old girl who, I just know, Melissa, what happens to them in the couple of hours after they cross the border. She wasn't going across to have lunch with this lady. She wasn't going across to get a new sari. She was going across to enter the underworld that you find and to have potentially ended up anywhere in the world because they tend to get sent from, you know, once they cross that border, they can end up anywhere around the world. And so, you know, we've got some incredible women working in those stations around the clock trying to intercept girls that are being trafficked into a fate that would have been, you know, quite similarly the same as Anita suffered.
0: And so the woman who coerced her or tried to coerce her over She obviously works, I just, you know, she works for the traffickers. And I'm just like, she's a woman. Like, she's a woman. Like, but she's obviously been in it, you know, for however many years and been totally brainwashed. And yeah, that's gosh. And yeah, it's
1: something you've got to wrestle with sometimes because I'm often horrified. Melissa, in the number of women I see involved in the sex trade. Because I think there's a myth that it's only men that traffic girls and boys, because we rescue boys as well, but we predominantly rescue girls. And look, I think there's a lot of factors for anyone, man or woman, why they get into that place of trafficking. Because often, and look, my experience would probably show me that often the person at the front of the line that is the actual frontline trafficker, they've got a lot of strings being pulled behind them. So whether it's man or woman, often there's been manipulation, coercion, threats, violence, maybe there's debts to be paid, maybe there's secrets to be covered up or whatever. So there are definitely kingpins that sit behind those people doing that trafficking, but. I'm often horrified at the sorts of people that you see trafficking others. We found during COVID, particularly like in the Philippines, we did a number of raids in the Philippines where the traffickers were 15 and 16 year olds. And you know. so again, often they would have been trafficked in a couple of years before, or they're desperate. They're desperate for money. And the you know, the, the kingpins prey on vulnerability and prey on people's social situation, their economic situation. There's a lot of, yeah, we're not talking about honest people here. So, yeah, but you'd be surprised, Melissa, at the number of women that we will find being the traffickers.
0: Wow. Wow. It's really surprising. Very surprising. I Yeah, I just, you know, you just have this idea in your head, but it's crazy. How often do you see drugs involved in this as well? Like, is there a lot of that happening as well or not so much? It's just the sex.
1: Yeah, look, it depends really, I think, on the location, country, destination, whatever. But there's often forms of drugs involved. Now, whether that be alcohol, whether that be marijuana, whether that be more hardcore drugs, it will depend on the locations. You know, like even, well, some of the countries that they're in, there's obviously in some countries harder to get the really hardcore drugs, but marijuana is quite open. I know, you know, we would see more and more in places like Thailand where it's legal to smoke marijuana, you know, I was in Thailand a couple of times last year and in one of the big Westfield Stalls shopping centres, they had a big total mind-blank, like, um, the, um, the medical cannabis CBD. There was a massive big fair that they're having in this Westfield Stolz supermarket on that. So, you know, there is a lot of entry point drugs that will be introduced into the girls. They've got trauma that they're dealing with and they've got to start dealing with the trauma. There is a lot of alcohol abuse, particularly with the girls, because I guess you know in a lot of the bars, particularly where the tourists would go to find the girls, it starts off in a bar over a beer, over spirits or or whatever, so um there's definitely alcohol involved, but it will often progress into other stuff. The girls become addicted, they become you know needing alcohol to deal with the pain that they're going through. So yeah, you do certainly see a lot of that. It just depends on where you are to the severity of the drugs that they that they'll be involved with, and often the customers will buy the drugs as well. So,
0: or we'll buy the drugs for them and the girls.
1: Correct. Yeah, because the more drugged up they are, the more likely they're going to be. You know, they'll they'll do what they're told to do. So it's again, it's a form of control.
0: Far out. That's seriously effed up it's, yeah, it's it's really. Tell me how many women, children, boys, this is happening to in the world right now?
1: Look, the estimates are hard. to you know, to get a real strong, solid number, it's a hard thing to find out. But we estimate there's a million children every year being trafficked. There's estimates out there that it's a $99 billion a year industry. 99 billion because you've got to remember melissa when you think of a person you can be you're reusable and i I know some of the language i use here it's full on it's a full-on situation so i'm not trying to use language to shock people or you know to shock your listeners and or to trigger things but it is a heavy heavy um topic I want to make sure that your listeners know that there's hope at the end of this because I want to talk about the hope because Destiny Rescue is all about the hope that we get to bring. So I don't want people to get overwhelmed because people can get overwhelmed because of the issue. But a person can be bought and sold multiple times a day. It's not like... So the, the arms race, missiles, bombs, grenades, bullets, you only get to use them once. You get to use a person time and time again. And a person can be sold multiple times. So... It's an industry, it's the second largest criminal activity in the world, human trafficking, And, the, you know, the prices can, can vary. The prices can vary.
0: Talk about the prices. Like, give us a little comparison in Australian dollars. Like, what is the cheapest to the most expensive that people would spend?
1: Yeah. Like, I've, I spent the first couple of weeks of this year in Africa looking at our programs in Africa. And we've got some incredible work happening in Africa. Some of the best development work that I've ever seen in my life. I've been to Africa 26 times and I've done a lot of aid and development work in Africa. And what I saw in January, I've only been back just over a week, so it was probably some of the best I saw. But I met girls in southern Africa that were selling themselves for 20 cents so that they could get breakfast for the family. And then on the other end of the scale, I don't know whether you saw last year the Netflix documentary movie called The Tinder Swindler. And fascinating movie to watch, The Tinder Swindler. And it's a story of a guy in Europe that fell in love online with a lady. I think she was from the UK and started flying her around the world. Uh, they they met on Tinder. He fell in love with her. He was flying her around the world on his private jet, picking her up in Rolls Royces, and she thought she hit the jackpot until she was swindled out of all of this money because she signed like he he got credit cards in her name and like it was next level. And and it's interesting when I watched the Tinder swindler. It's a hard thing to say. It's a mouthful to say, but. I went, a lot of people I find often in Australia go, well, how, how could girls be tricked like that? How could girls be tricked on Facebook or Instagram? Because that's often what where it starts from. You might have someone gets online and starts building a relationship with a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl and starts telling her, you know, she's seeing his lifestyle, seeing what he's doing. He looks like he's, you know, he's built like Thor, he's, and he starts sending her money and starts promising shoes and dresses and and a lifestyle that a 15, 16, 17 sixteen, seven-year-old girl, seventeen-year-old girl might dream of having. And so for the Tinder swindler, Doco, it was happening at a scale that you and I probably can't imagine, like, you know, but when private jets are involved in Rolls-Royce's and you get them to stay at these five and six-star hotels and all that sort of stuff. Like, this is amazing. This is my dream come true. I've just hit the jackpot. But that's what often happens to the girls that are getting paid 20 cents. Well, someone, suddenly someone's offering them, oh, I could change your life for you by with a couple hundred bucks because 20 cents.
0: And not only I can change your life, but I can change your family's life.
1: Correct. Correct. 100%. And so it's, it's at all ends of that spectrum. There. You know, I'm I'm confident there would be girls in Australia that are having the lie sold to them, and boys the lie sold to them about what they could end up. And this is true love. I really love you. We've got you know gaslighting. Thankfully, is becoming more and more known about, and, and we're more and more aware of people gaslighting people. You know, there's TV shows that we have on at the moment. Some of the best rating TV shows at the moment are probably. You know, talking about relationships and are they fake? Are they real? Are they, you know, because we have people are looking for love. People are looking for someone to share their life with. People are looking for acceptance. People are looking for hope. People are looking for someone to care for them and support them. People are lonely. They're looking to break loneliness. And so a trafficker relies on all those things to sell a lie to someone that they hope might be
0: true. It's just so disturbing and horrific that this is happening. And, you know, I just keep thinking, what about our sovereignty? And, you know, something that I always say to my daughter is my body, my rules. Like we say that I say your body, your rules. And that's something that I want her to grow up knowing this is her body, her rules. And I want to teach her about Intuition and listening to your intuition and really trusting that. Does my intuition say go down that dark alley or does it say don't? Does it say trust this person? Does it say not? But on this scale, it's just like, what about your birthright to your own body sovereignty? Like it just is so wrong. And I can't believe that it is happening. Like I literally can't believe it. And I'm so glad, I'm so grateful that there's organizations like Destiny Rescue that are out there helping and supporting and rescuing and saving these women. So talk to us about what we can do.
1: One of our projects, and you got to understand in most African culture, children are told it, you know, it's, it's, it's a couple of decades behind where we are. So I think it's so important what you just said about telling your daughter about her sovereignty of her body, that she's got choice, that she needs to trust her intuition and, and whatnot. What, we, what our um, project manager was telling us the other day is that in that community, but this is prevalent across Africa and it's prevalent across a lot of the world, children are told very differently to what kids in Oz are told these days. They're told, you need to say yes to an adult. If an adult asks you to do something, you need to say yes. You need to respect your elders. You need to respect your teachers. You're not taught choice. You're not taught to say no. And the program, our rehab program that we do, is in that particular project, they've called it the She Can Project. And they invite girls to come and be a part of She Can. Because what they're trying to do is saying to girls, She can have choice. You can have choice. That you have the ability to say yes and to say no. And we're teaching the families, we're teaching the communities that you have choice and you're allowed to say no. You're allowed to say yes. We're trying to teach consent because there is a worldview that we have to teach a generation of young people right across the world, that they have the ability to say no and to say yes. And that's a powerful thing to teach a, a generation, that you have choice and you have the ability to say yes or no to that sort of thing. And so, you know, and it was interesting in that particular project where we are teaching them to have their own choice over what they can do. We had a girl say to us, she said, I want to live my life knowing that I can't go back and change the beginning, but I can start where I am and change the ending. And when I heard that, I mean, man, it gave me goosebumps because I'm like, here is a girl that has learnt that she has choice, that she has agency, that she has sovereignty, as you said, over her life and she can make choices for herself and that's that's the hope that I see that we're putting into girls and boys lives and their families to make a difference for the future generations because I see that we have an opportunity to change future generation. because we're not just rescuing that girl that's been in that trauma but we're rescuing the futures of the brothers and sisters of the future generations of her grandkids like there's significant change happening at a fast pace across the globe because of some of the work of organisations like Destiny Rescues and others that are talking about that sort of stuff with a generation of young people across the globe.
0: Oh my gosh, so important, such important work. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What can we do?
1: Yeah, look, I think Melissa, there's two important things we can do. One, we need to raise awareness. We need to be asking so an awareness comes in a couple of different ways we're working on an ethical tourism campaign at the moment and it's not questioning people every time they travel overseas or whatever but it's if you've got people in your life that are regularly going on trips to southeast asia asking questions stopping and looking taking notice on the end of year footy trips, on the, the schoolies or leavers trips, on the, your annual time of the year that you're going on your holidays and you go to some of those places, open your eyes and don't be naive to what might be around you because most people when we talk to them like, oh, wow, I've been, I've walked past those bars. I've sat in some of those bars. I never even thought that that was going on. And I think there's a genuine sense of people not even being aware that, like, you might think it's fun to go to a show when you're in Thailand and watch some of the perceived fun things that are on offer to watch, but you could actually be contributing to the trade of kids because... I would question whether that's actually fun for the girls that are doing that. And, and, look, I know, Melissa, I think probably in your audience, I think there's a high quality of, of people that are, that are engaging with what you're doing, but we all know people. And sometimes it's just asking the question, like, hey, when you go to Asia, have you ever thought about, like, some of the places you see, just be aware that there's kids being trafficked in those places and don't be naive to what's going on. I think there's also an awareness of our online activity and and so much exploitation that happens online. Child sexual abuse online is prevalent and it's become more and more so since COVID. There's a lot of platforms that are being promoted by mainstream media where jump on board and you can make all this money if you jump on board onto certain social platforms and it's glamorized by the Australian media. But anywhere that that's being glamorised as being harmless or this is your choice, there are people on those platforms that aren't there by choice. And I think we need to make some ethical choices about the platforms that we support and, and don't support and whatnot in that. And then I think, and so there's an, there's an awareness raising. The other side of it, Melissa, is, is purely we need people to help us financially to do the work that we're doing. And I'm, I'm unashamedly can ask for that from, you, from people listening today. We need people and we need businesses to help support the work that Destiny Rescue are doing. Our agents are specifically trained to go into places to work undercover. We've got relationship with law enforcement in the countries that we're working in. We're doing work that the average person can't do. And nor should you be doing it. Like, it's it's actually highly specialised work. It's dangerous. It's not like the movie Taken. It's not Liam Neeson rushing in gung-ho, you know, because I think a lot of people think about rescue work and they're thinking about Liam Neeson and the movie Taken. But it's really hard, difficult work, and we need to be able to fund that work. It's some of the cases that we work on, they take six months, 12 months to do. But Melissa, on average, it costs us $1,800 to rescue a child. That's all it costs to rescue a child and get her on a path to freedom, to help with job creation, to help get her back into education, to help start a small business, to work through the trauma that she's been through. $1,800 is all it takes to do that. And people can do it in a number of different ways. They can become a rescue partner with us and make a monthly contribution of whatever amount they, they feel like they can do. Well, their business could support us. And that then enables us to continue to expand our work to rescue more kids. And we feed back to people. We are committed to making sure we can tell the story well so that people can see where their money's going, what we're doing with it, and the number of kids that we're rescuing because of it. $1,800 to save
0: someone's life. $1,800. And you save someone's life that's it that's it so making a monthly contribution gathering your friends together if you need to you know we had we recently moved house and we had a big actually it wasn't recent it was last May June I can't it all meshes into one so we moved house and we had a big garage sale and everything that we made on that garage sale We gave to Destiny Rescue. And there's little things that you can do like that. You can sell things around your house and donate that money. You can, I don't know, a percentage of your income for your next birthday. Instead of getting presents, get everyone to donate to Destiny Rescue. Do whatever you can do to help and support. You've inspired me. I'm going to have a chat to my team. I'm going to be like, okay, what else can we do? All of the proceeds from one of my meditations, my beautiful breastfeeding guided meditation that I created, it all goes to Destiny Rescue because I wanted that to be the case. So find ways, get creative and give and support. And remember, it's only $1,800 to support and save and free another human being.
1: Yeah, Melissa, look, let me say to two of you listeners, the way that most people would support the work of Destiny Rescue would be to sign up as one of our rescue partners, which is just doing a monthly commitment. We encourage you to start at $50 a month if you can. If you can't do $50, you can do less. But if you can do $50 a month, that gives us stability in our finances. It comes; It's a monthly payment. It's a small fraction of most of our income. And it's less than what most of us would spend on dinner if we took the family out for dinner. It's not, it's not even a family Macca's meal anymore. If you can do that at $150 a month, you will be able to fund the rescue of a child every 12 months. And so people sitting there going, oh, man, I can't do $1,800. Become a rescue partner and do it monthly and chip away at it month on month because that's the most, that's the easiest way for people to really support the work of Destiny Rescue and it gives us that stability of funding as well to know that we can keep planning our rescues when we find another place that's got a whole heap of kids involved we know that we've got a stable income coming through and we're not having peaks and troughs of big amounts one month and not not the next month so that's that's where we would encourage people to be doing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes and maybe take your coffees and your dinners out and your muffins and things that aren't necessarily super supportive for your health and and use that money for good. It's really important. So we'll link to it in the show notes for anyone to go and become a partner and we'll make it really easy for you guys. Go and do it. And I would just love so much if everyone could just go and Donate something, whatever you can, whatever you can, just go and do that and share this episode because, like Paul has said, awareness is key. So please share this episode with your entire community, your friends, your family, text it to everyone, email it, share it on your social media, start talking about this, have this conversation. If you have children, start talking to them about their body, you know, my body, my rules saying no, following their intuition, like teaching them to tune into their intuition to know when something doesn't feel right. You know, this all starts now with us and these conversations need to be had right now. They need to be had now. So thank you for all of the incredible work that you do. I'm so grateful. I have a personal question for you. How do you stay happy and positive and how do you not get so down doing this work? I
1: think, Melissa, because I see the hope in what we are doing. I see what happened to Anita after she got free. I think about Um, who I met in Thailand last year, who was a 14-year-old girl that sat next to me in a bar and we got her to freedom. And I know that Um is flourishing. I think about the lives that have changed, like it, it really comes back to that. I think in such a heavy topic, you've got to focus on the hope to do it for the long haul, you've got to focus on the hope, and we're bringing hope. We are rescuing people's freedom we're rescuing their destinies, and that's what drives me because you know I could get up every morning and think about, oh man there's another girl that slept last night and Rara, but I'm also knowing that today there's girls that will find freedom, and that's what drives me. That's what drives our team. That's what we spend a lot of time talking about because it is hard. Like it's it's heartbreaking where you see you know you know that you had a raid planned or an operation that was planned and it got delayed by two or three days because something happened, and that happens more than you would think. And you're like, oh man, that girl that I've you know I I met this girl last week and she's got another couple of nights doing it, but I know that in the next couple of weeks she will be free, and and I know that. You focus on the hope. You focus on the freedom that comes. You focus on the incredible stories of redemption that are taking place every single day of the year. That's what drives me. And the drive to know that we are making a difference and we are creating change. And we're not people that just have decided to sit on the sidelines and let others do it. I want to be in the forefront of making something happen. And I think that's when... I love it, you know, people like yourself, Melissa. You see people that get on board and go, you know what? We can be the solution. There's lots of problems out there, but we've chosen to be a solution. We can be solution bringers. That's the team that I want to sit on, you know, because they're the people that change the world and make an incredible difference. And,
0: yeah, that's it. Beautiful. Thank you. And you have two boys. What do you teach them about all of this? How old are they and, and do they know to the depths? What is going on? Do you share everything?
1: Yeah, look, my eldest just turned 14. My youngest is 11. They are relatively aware of what I do to an age appropriate level. But I found when my eldest was only in grade three or four, he had a friend at school who, like, he went to his house one day and we found that, like, his friend was watching r-rated videos with his dad broken family and not great stuff happening in the family and so i think melissa we shouldn't be shocked in our culture today because of how accessible things are to kids how vulnerable our kids and so we took a you know parenting i guess we made decisions early on in our parent and some of us because we were forced to, I guess, because we realised that our kids at a young age were being exposed to things that we didn't think I wasn't exposed to at my age because the internet wasn't around. and Well, you know, it was probably early days of the internet, but, you know, I didn't have mobile phones and stuff. We've got to be educating our kids. And I'm constantly talking to our kids around being aware online, being aware when they're writing to them from school, where they're sharing with. So we've... We've tried to have really open relationships and open conversations with our kids, age appropriate, so not going too far, but also going. You know what? I feel like this is too early to be having this conversation, but I'm aware of what you're encountering at school or online or on TV, or you've you've picked up a yeah, I don't know, you've, you've picked up something from someone else. Our kids are pretty well aware, and I want them to know that they've got the ability to change lives like you know they've got the ability to give some of their pocket money away or they've got the ability to go to their school and have a conversation at the school about hey could our school do a fundraiser i've had my you know my eldest did that last year went went to the school principal and got the courage and went and spoke to the school principal what can we do to raise some funds and to do a fundraiser at the school for destiny rescue and so we're talking through the options of what does that look like with the school and whatnot and and, um, you know, I think putting your kids front and center in some of that can be really powerful for them.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful idea. As anyone listening who has children of school age, go to your principal, send an email today and say that you would love to do a fundraiser for Destiny Rescue. Come up with a creative way of how you can raise money, but pitch this to the principal. I want everyone listening to do that. It's such a great idea because they're always doing fundraisers for things, you know, this is such a meaningful and important thing to do. And I think as well, you know, you've really highlighted something very important and that is, you know, we have the internet at our fingertips. Children are getting mobile phones very young. They have access to very, very scary things online. So making sure that you are putting boundaries around this for your children, you're blocking sites, you are, you know, monitoring what they're doing, putting time limits, whatever. Just be aware that at just a few clicks, they can type in anything and all it takes is one person at school planting a seed about something or a website or whatever it is. And then that person going home and searching. So just be aware. Like we think we know everything that's going on, but, you know, you might not. So really put some boundaries. You can get sites that block things. I don't know how to do it, but I'm sure it's very simple. But, yeah, it's really important that we look at that side of things as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, the eSafety Commissioner in Queensland, I know, has uh, e safety website has some really good resources on there. There's some really great apps where you can see what your kids are doing online, and and a lot of that's just protection for your kids. Like it's you know, and I think as parents, one of the things I probably notice is that I think we've decided, I guess in our family, that we're the parent, not our child. Our child's not the parent. We know what's best for our kids. We know that too much screen time isn't great for them, so we limit. I mean, I think our our eldest was probably one of the oldest in his class before he got a mobile phone, <laughs> but, so we didn't want to give it to him because I'm like, there's a world of I deal with girls every day that have been tricked because they've got internet access, and and I'm probably a bit overly protective on that, but I think it's you know it's for the right reason So there are some great apps and stuff out there you can download, put on your phones and TVs and computers and whatnot. Keep them safe as much as you can, and be aware of what their conversations are. And it's okay to say no to your child and they can chuck a tantrum. But as my boys learn, doesn't you can throw a tantrum if you want. It's not going to change my decision to be the best parent I can be for you and realise that I've got to make decisions for them that have a bigger picture in mind and not just about their instant gratification of having some screen time. So, yeah, they'll thank me for it one day, I know.
0: Absolutely, they will. And we've spoken about screen time on here. I'll link to some amazing episodes that I have interviewed some incredible doctors and people on the detrimental effects of screen time on children. And you have to remember as well with all parenting, but especially with screen time, children learn from watching their parents. So if you are constantly on your phone and computer and the iPad and TV Like, of course, they're going to want to also do that. They're going to feel compelled, more compelled to pick that up as opposed to going and painting or being outside. And so remember that children are modeling our behavior. And if we want them to be outside and in nature, then we have to be outside and in nature. Also, I found it really helpful. We don't have a TV. We don't have multiple iPads. I have a laptop and a phone. I know some people have seven TVs, they have a desktop, they have a laptop, and they have an iPad and they have a phone. And and I'm just like, and 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 like the more devices, the more options. So literally, I have my phone and my computer. And I don't want anything else. Like we got rid of the iPad. I'm like, why do we have an iPad? We don't even use it. Like, let's get rid of it. Let's sell that. Like, be mindful of how many devices you have in your home because The more that you have, the more tempting it is. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that.
1: Yeah, that's good. Love it.
0: Paul, this has been incredible. I am just so grateful. The work that you do, Destiny Rescue, everything, it's just so important. I would love to encourage everyone to go to destinyrescue.org.au. I'll link to it in the show notes, but please go there and make a contribution right now. Paul, is there anything else that you want to share with us?
1: Oh, look, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to yourself, to your family and to your listeners for making a difference in the lives of kids because we become the door openers. I often look at, I think of rescue often is you've got someone trapped behind a closed door and often that door is locked and there's a handle on one side of that door and that handle sits on the side of the door that we're on. And if we choose to be a door opener, we get to open the door to someone's destiny, we get to help them rewrite their freedom chapter of their life, and we can open that door to freedom for someone. So I just, again, massive thank you for having me on the show, and thank you for those of you that are going to jump on become a rescue partner and open the door to freedom for a child somewhere in the world. She may Never know your name, but she won't be able to tell her story without talking about you. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you, Paul. So grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Beautiful soul family. Please, please, please take a moment and head to org. Dot .au and make a contribution and please share this episode with all of your friends and family share it on your platforms email text do whatever you've got to do to get this message into as many ears as possible thank you so much for being here for making a difference for having the courage to listen to this episode. Thank you for taking the time. I am so grateful that you are here and you are the ones that are going to make the difference. So please, please, please take a moment now. Stop what you're doing. Head to destinyrescue.org.au and make whatever contribution you can. I would be so grateful all of those beautiful people that you save Oh my gosh, think of that. Think of that. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. I'm so honored to know you. I love and adore you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.